But this time, it's almost like, you know, inflation just slowly ticks up, slowly ticks up, and the equity markets and bond markets just slowly grind down. So it's a lot more gradual this time around. Welcome to ETF Market Insights, a podcast where some of Canada's leading investment experts guide you through the world of exchange-traded funds. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and welcome to the BMO ETF's Market Insights podcast. Today, we'll be covering our quarterly portfolio strategy report. My name is Erica Toth, and I'm a director of ETF distribution here at BMO ETF. And today, I have the pleasure of being joined by my colleague, Alfred Lee, who's director, portfolio manager, and investment strategist. Last month, we just celebrated 10 years that Alfred's been writing our quarterly ETF strategy report. This report features a balanced ETF model and has become an indispensable resource for advisors, portfolio managers, and investors alike. He's also been publishing a fixed income strategy report, which is a pure fixed income model, and that model he's been running for five years. So our goal today is to provide you with our current views on portfolio construction across the various asset classes and really bring those quarterly strategy pieces alive for you in a podcast format. And we'll try to do all of this in under half an hour of time. So again, this quarter, I'm opening up the podcast by saying, wow, there's a lot going on in the markets with both equities and bonds down year to date. There are several key issues to unpack, including sticky inflation. Last week, uh, the US CPI print came in at 9.1% as of the second week of July. We saw supersized rate hikes both north and south of the border with a 75 basis point hike from the U.S. Federal Reserve. And then the Bank of Canada surprised us with a 1% rate hike last week, that second week of July. And of course, we have the ongoing war with Russia in the Ukraine, and we have COVID continuing to impact supply chains. So all that said, we've had a very volatile start to the year. So Alfred, what do you think is the primary metric that investors should be looking at and why. Over to you. Thanks, Erica. You know, definitely a lot going on, as you mentioned. You know, I think with a lot of the headline risk, really the conflict in Russia and Ukraine and also COVID, I think is really taking a backseat to inflation at this point. I started another podcast off by saying, you know, they often say this time is different, but I think this time it really is. I mean, you know, if you look at the economic slowdown that we're seeing right now, which it's very different than what we saw in 2008, 2020, and even 2002 for that matter. I think even though, you know, those sell-offs felt a lot more intense just in terms of, you know, the daily sell-offs that we saw in 2008, 2020, um, you know, the repricing had happened a lot quicker during, during those sell-offs. You know, in 2008, when Lehman defaulted, that repricing was essentially overnight. 2020, very similar with COVID. But this time, it's almost like, you know, inflation just slowly ticks up, slowly ticks up, and the equity markets and bond markets just slowly grind down. So it's a lot more gradual this time around. It's a lot more, you know, you don't feel the same kind of panic. But the main difference, I would say, is, you know, the, the slowdown that we're seeing or about to see right now is very similar to what we saw in the 1970s and 1980s. So I'm not saying that, you know, that's where we're headed, but if we don't get inflation resolved, that's essentially what we're looking at right now. I mean... The only metric I think that matters in terms of the market is, is really inflation at this point. From a market perspective, the central banks can't ease interest rates and they can't properly stimulate the economy. They can't really do that until inflation is resolved at that point. 
you know, in 2008, 2020, we really had the Fed and other central banks utilize things like zero interest rate policies, non-conventional measures like quantitative easing. Uh, that's the opposite of what the economy needs right now. So if we did that, um, you know, that's essentially throwing gasoline into the fire at this point. So until we get inflation under control, you know, both the Bank of Canada and the, and the Fed can't properly stimulate the economy until we do that. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that the central bank's role is price stability, not to ensure that the stock market continues to go up. That's a really good point, Alfred. So um, I'll just add on a follow-up question here regarding that 1% rate hike. What do you think that implication has been on the market so far, just looking at the last week um, or the last several trading days as an indication? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it came as a surprise to some. I mean, we were talking about that uh, potential of a 1% rate hike on the desk last week. And, you know, some of us were talking about that it was a real possibility. But, you know, right now, you know, we're seeing a lot of jumbo rate hikes because uh, the Fed and the Bank of Canada really want to get in, ahead of inflation at this point. You know, keep in mind that when inflation started to pick up even earlier in this year, I think the Fed and Bank of Canada started a little bit late. But now what they want to do is just get ahead of inflation, as I mentioned. So, you know, it's very similar to driving a car. That's the analogy that I always give. You know, as the car accelerates, you really need less brake to slow the car before the car accelerates any further. So that's what you know central banks are trying to do right at this point. So the, they want to front load um, rate hikes in the hopes that we're going to require less rate hikes over the course of the tightening cycle. Um, another thing we have to look at is real yield. So the difference between bond yields and inflation. So if you look at CPI in Canada right now, it's 7.7%. That was the last reading we got. The two-year yield is about 3.3%. So if you look at the difference, you know, the real yield is about negative 4.4% right now. So to get back to a positive level, um, either yields have to go up or CPI has to come back down for that to turn back positive. So you know, the intention is if we slow demand by aggressively hiking rates, you know, demand has to slow, which is going to dampen inflation. Um, but bond yields will also go back up to, to essentially narrow that gap in real yield. So keep in mind, when you look at central banks, they can't really do anything about supply, which is really half the issue right now. So, you know, they can only indirectly affect demand through the use of monetary policy, which is what they're trying to do right now. Um, you know, so, you know, as we mentioned last quarter, supply remains really tight for the time being. So, you know, higher rates is going to bring down demand. So the economy is really trying to find that equilibrium where demand equals supply right now. But as we mentioned during the last podcast, you know, with no more COVID-related lockdowns, which means, you know, supply should naturally shore up, and especially if China moves away from its zero uh, COVID policies, um, supply should naturally come back online. We're hoping that essentially is the case over the next six to eight months. So we believe, you know, the next six to eight months is going to be really critical in, in, in terms of showing us whether you know, inflation gets resolved or whether we head back towards some 1970s, 1980s type of regime. Those are some good points, Alfred. I mean, one thing we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that oil prices have softened a little bit. I mean, so far this year, strong oil prices have actually been, you know, relatively speaking, a positive for Canadian equities since our, our markets here have performed better on a relative basis versus the U.S. or international uh, stock markets. Um, what's your sense on commodity prices in the near term? And perhaps you can walk us through what the implications are on portfolio construction and some things that, that you're keeping an eye on. 
For sure. So, you know, I think with commodities right now, if you look at not just oil, but just the entire commodity complex as a whole, um, over the last month, commodities have come down significantly. I think that's a good sign. I think that's a good sign that, you know, interest rates have started to dampen out demand. Also on the you know other side of the equation, supply chains, as I mentioned, are coming back online as well. And I think that's definitely helped with a lot of the supply uh, in a lot of different commodities as well. Uh, but what it will point out is that I think even when um, a lot of these supply issues get resolved in the commodity space, there's a lot of what I would say is structural inflation, will, which will last. Um, and that's essentially, you know, the conflicts that we're, we're seeing in Russia and Ukraine. Um, you know, Russia tends to be one of the largest exporters when it comes to energy. Ukraine is one of the largest exporters when it comes to agricultural commodities as well. Uh, on top of that, there's also a lot of, you know, think about it. Um, a lot of companies, for example, because we know governments want to make that transition into fossil-free kind of energy um, and renewable energy, a lot of companies aren't putting a lot of capex or a lot of expenditure into building new infrastructure and developing new fossil fuels. So supply is going to remain tight because of that. On top of that, when you look at the agricultural space, you know a lot of farmers are being penalized for nitrogen emissions at this point. So now, there's going to be a lot of tightness in agriculture markets um, that remain as well. So I think supply will get better, but there's going to be a lot of structural um, supply issues that remain. So, you know, how much of that remains, nobody knows at this point. Um, but we're keeping a close eye in terms of, you know, how the commodity space um, kind of keeps up, especially in the fall portion of the year where, you know, um, temperatures get a little bit cooler, how Russia is going to play, what, what happens in Europe, because Europe is going to need natural gas. Um, so if commodity prices remain strong, that definitely will benefit Canadian equities. But if commodity prices remain low, um, you could bet that, you know, U.S. equities probably start to outperform Canadian equities. So that, that outperformance of the Canadian market could reverse course. So, you know, I would, I would definitely suggest to our listeners, you want to keep um, an eye on relative strength of the, uh, the, the S&P TSX cap composite. So that's our ZCN versus ZSP, which is, um, our S&P 500 ETF. Um, Alfred, just uh, want to check in with you quickly. Have you made any changes this quarter to the Canada-US uh, weight in, within the model, within the balanced model? No changes so far. I mean, you know, we've been um, pretty happy with our US and Canadian content so far. Um, you know, keep in mind, like, we the core exposures that we use are um, low volatility and quality, um, and any kind of underweights that we have on a sector level, we could always use our sector ETFs to kind of tactically adjust, you know, our exposures within those sectors, respectively. Okay. Now we have been discussing commodity prices and you know how that can be an indicator that maybe we're starting to hit peak inflation. And that, in turn, could be a catalyst for equity markets to perhaps stage a turnaround. And another aspect that you mentioned in your quarterly strategy report is valuation. So one report that I read from the end of, of last month indicated that the equity market has only been this oversold from a technical standpoint three times in the last 15 years. So March 09, March 2020, and now. And certainly there, there are key issues that need to be fleshed out that we've just discussed. And there is indeed more talk this quarter of, of a possibility of, of a recession happening. So let's uh, go into a little bit more detail and talk about the potential outcomes 
from here and talk about how we should consider positioning the core of our equities and how you do so within the portfolio. Yeah, so in, in terms of the core, you know, the core factors that we continue to use in our portfolio, um, as I mentioned, is low ball and quality. Um, but just in terms of, you know, as you mentioned, you know, valuations in the market look really attractive right now, even if you compare it to, you know, more recent historical averages, uh, valuations essentially are where they were, um, you know, uh, essentially around April 2020, right before central banks started using or implementing all these stimulus packages. So valuations look great, even when you look at, you know, things like the city macroeconomic surprise index, um, it's very negative right now, which means that um, positive surprises um, are a lot more probable at this point. What we don't know, however, is that if inflation remains high, uh, that means the central banks will have to keep interest rates um, higher, which is going to limit the growth of companies and, and then potentially drive the earnings of companies lower, and then potentially valuations have to come off further. So, you know, as I mentioned before, it really hinges on what happens with inflation. Um, we continue to like the combination or barbelling between low volatility and quality. Um, low volatility is obviously, you know, held up really well compared to the broader market um, so far year to date. No surprise there. But when you look at quality, it's a little surprising that it has lagged um, to a degree. And the reason why is because when you look at the exposures, it's really heavy, heavily weighted towards, you know, a lot of the tech companies. But when you look at the tech companies, it's a lot of the cash-rich, larger-cap, you know, tech companies like Apple, Google, Mastercard, and Visa, um, which are really cash-rich. They shouldn't be, you know, um, essentially underperforming to this degree at this point. So valuations uh, in the quality factor remain very good at this point. It's basically in line with the S&P 500. Typically, when you look at quality, it tends to trade at a premium versus the S&P 500. So you know, I think by combining quality and, and low volatility, you know, that's a good way to potentially play the outcomes of the market right now. Because if we continue to see inflation, low volatility will potentially continue to outperform. But at the same time, if we see peak inflation over the next couple of months, uh, what potentially could happen is that interest rates potentially come down in the very near future. That's going to get priced into the market, which is going to help tech. And then, you know, at the same time, you could see quality start to outperform if we see peak inflation. So I like that barbell strategy um, because it essentially, um, you know, is a good way to barbell the potential outcomes of what happens with inflation going forward. Those are excellent points. And I think I would just like to highlight actually uh, two important um, points when you're when you're dealing with those those factors, quality and low volatility in particular. Low volatility, you tend to have exposure to sectors such as utilities and consumer staples, really more mature businesses that aren't as sensitive to the business cycle overall. So if we do go into a recession uh, or into a stagflation scenario, those types of businesses will be a lot less sensitive. Um, and the, the other thing I wanted to point out has, is within quality, Alfred, as you mentioned, um, you tend to have more exposure to the technology sector. Uh, but will it, what I will add to that is that it's companies that have you know, proven track record, not only of, of higher return on equity over time, but also earnings that are stable 
from one quarter to, to the next and are less cyclical. So that's one of the, the things that that quality um, methodology screens for, but also very, very strong balance sheets. So yes, even though there are technology companies, it is only the companies within that sector that have you know, the strongest financial position starting out from, from a, a balance sheet perspective, carrying the, less, the least debt on their balance sheet. So I did want to add those, those two points. Um, in, in the model, you do use the core and satellite approach, as you mentioned. So the low volatility equity is really forming the, the bulk of the core there and, you know, complementing that with, with sector ETFs, those satellite positions. And those can change depending on what's, what's going on in the market. So I wanted to highlight that this quarter you actually increased your weight to the Canadian banks. Um, so I was hoping that you could share with our listeners your rationale here. Yeah, you know, with the Canadian banks right now, if you look at the Canadian banks, it's almost like an opportunity that's too good to pass up at this point. You know, if you look at, you know, whether recession is going to hit Canada, probably. Um, is a slowing housing market going to have an impact on the banks? Probably as well. Um, but I think that's already priced into the market at this point. If you look at, you know, the PE ratio of ZEB, which is our equal weight Canadian banks ETF, for example, has a current PE ratio of 8.8 times earnings. Uh, when you compare that to the TSX, for example, the TSX has a current PE ratio of 14.3 times earnings. So, you know, the way I look at this is basically you're getting banks at a 40% discount to the market right now. Uh, the yield on ZEB is also 4.9% right now. Uh, we have a saying on our desk that basically says, you know, when the yield's at four, you buy some more. Um, we we had a portfolio manager that basically coined that a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, Chris Heeks, who's another portfolio manager, uh, actually did some back testing and they, he did some uh, analysis or stati- statistical analysis on this. So he basically, you know, broke it down the uh, dividend yield to various levels. And then he measured the next 12 month returns based on the dividend yield. So what he found was actually when uh, the dividend yield is north of 4%, the uh, returns over the next 12 months is actually very strong. And then especially when the dividend yield is north of four, four and a half percent, it's even stronger. So, you know, statistically, uh, there is truth to that tagline. Uh, but also when you look at Canadian banks, uh, they tend to exhibit some seasonality as well, where the back half of the year, they tend to um, be a little bit stronger. And that I think that has a lot to do with the annual or the fiscal year earnings, which are reported in around October and November. Um, I think that really drives results as well, typically because Canadian banks tend to um, outperform or deliver uh, better than uh, market expectations. But uh, overall, you know, we typically like our sector ETFs to be no more than 4 to 5% of our portfolio. Uh, but when you look at ZLB being the core position in our Canadian equities, uh, keep in mind the Canadian banks is very low in that ETF. So uh, on a portfolio level, I would say our exposure to Canadian banks is basically brought back up to market weight at this point. So there's some some good insights there. I mean, I definitely I think that that rule of thumb, the over four you buy some more, um, is is certainly compelling and uh, something that that is easy to remember going forward. Even though there could be a little bit of volatility uh, over the near term here. Um, so I wanted to close things off. The last question, the million dollar question, it seems. Um, fixed income continues to be very challenging, and most positions. Uh, that folks are holding are in the red so far this year. Uh, so in the model, you've actually made some changes this quarter to the bond allocations. You've moved from 
ZIC, which is our midterm U.S. corporate bond ETF. And you've moved to more of a barbelling approach with ZSU, which is our short-term U.S. corporate bond ETF, and ZTL, which is our long-term U.S. Treasury bond ETF. So maybe you could walk us through the rationale that you've made on the, on the fixed income side of the portfolio, Alfred. Yeah, fixed income, I would say, is definitely the million-dollar question right now. I mean, it's not been a, a very difficult, or it's been a very difficult year for fixed income. It hasn't been kind uh, in terms of uh, rising interest rates. Um, but when you look at the yield curve right now, it's really flat to a degree. I mean, even when you look at the twos, the tens, the thirties, they're all around, you know, three to 3.3% range. Um, so it really doesn't make sense to take on, you know, term risk or duration risk at this point. You're not really rewarded by going out further in the curve. Um, you know, last quarter we were looking to reduce exposure to the long end because, you know, at that point it didn't really make sense to take duration risk as we were anticipating, you know, central banks to be aggressively tightening in the near future. Um, but what we're seeing on the long end of the curve right now is that it's starting to invert. Um, so, you know, the market or how we read it is essentially the market seems to be confident that, you know, over the midterm, inflation doesn't necessarily get solved. But over the very long run, inflation will eventually be under control. It's really the mid part, as I mentioned, that, you know, the mid part of the curve that's really uncertain at this point. Um, there are signs that inflation is cooling, um, that we will perhaps see peak inflation. But you know, as I mentioned before, with the issues with Russia and Ukraine, uh, the limited capex in energy, there's a lot of structural supply issues that are likely going to, to remain. And we may see a little bit of persistent inflation as well. So the you know, mid part of the curve is the part that we want to avoid, uh, the short end of the curve, because all the bonds in our ETFs eventually are held until close to maturity. We're, we're eventually going to get you know, close to that part value. So on the short end, what we're trying to do is just maximize yield by overweighting credit. And then the long end of the curve, what we're doing is because, you know, the curve is starting the price in recession at this point, we want some long-term U.S. treasuries in order to, um, you know, get that protection against, um, you know, falling equities. Because if you look at the correlations between um, U.S. treasuries and equities at this point, it's starting to get that negative correlation again. So, you know, that's why we essentially use the barbell approach. Um, but, you know, why we're using U.S. credit at this point is because we want some diversification rather than owning the same Canadian companies across the entire, you know, um, financial spectrum. What we want to do is get some corporate diversification in there through the U.S. Uh, corporate issues. You mentioned um, going with a corporate a credit overweight with, with ZSU, uh, which is our short-term U.S. Um, corporate bond ETF, I should highlight and I should mention that that is only investment grade um, and that we are advocating for you know, an investment grade approach at this point. I have a follow-up question for you, Alfred, just in terms of that mix between the ZSU and the, ZC, the ZTL. Sorry, um, What weight would you assign to each of those, like to the short end versus to the, the long end there? What are your thoughts around that? I would definitely front load it. I think at this point, uh, as I mentioned, I mean, it, there's still the potential for inflation to continue to rise. So we do like the front end of the curve still. Um, you know, I would say 80% of your allocation would go on the short end, whereas the remaining um, allocation, I would put 20% into the long end. Well, thanks so much, Alfred, for walking us through your models. Always insightful and very much appreciated. This has been the BMO ETFs. Market Insights Podcast. 
And you can find us every quarter on Spotify, Apple, and on BMOETF.ca, the BMO Canadian ETF dashboard. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. ETF Market Insights has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.